0: Good afternoon, this is Gary Cavanagh here on TRSI. I'm here today with my friend and colleague Michael Dwyer. We nearly didn't have a show for you today as we ran into a series of audio issues on Michael's side. I nearly had to carry the entire show on my shoulders, Michael. Well, we we haven't done it
1: yet, so let's just leave the audio gods quietly sleeping where they are.
0: An unkind listener might ask how I could tell that was different than normal i
1: don't imagine we have any unkind listeners gary the unkindness i'm sure is all in your head
0: fair point so two irish stories two american stories perfectly balanced <laughs> as all things should be absolutely home or abroad michael where do you want to start
1: oh i think we we'll, we'll start with uh, we'll start with abroad because it's more fun
0: small small thing then we'll start with the fun story the joyful story the Democratic National Conference is on the DNC, a who's who of the best and brightest of the Democratic Party. And Some of them are actually there in person yeah, yeah. this time as well, yeah, not all of them. And a few Republicans too. And it's it's been the usual, like you're, the national conventions, you're talking to the base. Uh, I am told that the ORNC is a much better place if you want to go and get drunk, but like I assume that's not how you pick your political conferences, but it's certainly how I pick mine. On what other basis would you do it? I can tell you... Ideology or belief?
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're a card. No, Ogre. You go, You start off the... Well, Actually, Ogre these days is probably a rather sad affair, but back a hundred years ago, ogre, an Ogre conference for drinking and debauchery it was just two and a half days of non-stop bacchanal. Fantastic. Not that I ever involved or indulged myself. I stayed up late at night and wrote speeches for people the next day. But I saw a lot of stuff happening. And a lot of people having, very, having a very nice time. Very sweaty. But before air conditioning and certainly before the widespread use of
0: deodorant. A simpler time, Michael, I think we could agree. A simpler time when you could get
1: 47% of the first preference vote and still not get an overall majority.
0: So Michelle Obama was at and we'll touch back on that later because I, for the first time in my life, want to talk about Michelle Obama. <laughs> but what I'm actually interested in here is is a story so utterly unimportant and yet so incredibly funny that it must be discussed. The song choice of the DNC... When they closed the first day of their conference.
1: Now you have to understand that, quite obviously, the, the the content of most of the stuff is um, it's for the base. That's a, that's more true, I would say, when the actual when the conference is happening in in vivo and you've got people in the hall and you're gonna you kind of get the people jizzed up. It this is shown. Uh, it's on C span, but at least it used to be shown at least in part on the, on the on the main networks. I'm not sure if it still is. But it is a place where ordinary Americans will drop by to see what the parties are doing, to get a kind of a vibe or a sense of, are these the kinds of people that I want to trust with my vote this time? Now, if you're doing something in private, you know, it makes perfect sense. Not that it's something that... Wrong or shameful, but rather it's something that is particular to your taste, and you you know that you and all your friends will like it. The say, so you'd you'd have you make a different choice, for, like say the kind of entertainment you have at a private party as opposed to a party where anybody might drop by, or a party where a few a couple of million of Americans might turn their television on and see it happening in front of them. And Gary, this particular video. I, I don't know. It, it didn't seem to me to be aimed at what you could call Middle America.
0: Now I will say I will put the link to the only the section, the relevant section of the um, of the DNC at the bottom of this podcast. Um, you have to, folks. Yeah, you have I, to. You, you have, have to. See you have it. to watch
1: it. I mean, I know Gary probably labors in vain most of the time. He puts all these links up to things, and you just take it on, on faith that what we've been saying isn't. A
0: complete
1: pack of fantasy and lies but you have to see this
0: weirdly enough I, I can see roughly how many people click the links uh so people do actually read them
1: good people
0: but the the link that people most enjoyed was i think i put a, a full link to gogol's uh, overcoat on one of the uh episodes that's just a nice little bonus to the listeners who look down there and that, I think, was the thing that got us the most emails of people going, oh, I really enjoyed that. A fun... Which probably says a fair bit about our average listener, to be honest.
1: It says something. I don't know what, but it says something. Listening to
0: long, meandering political podcasts three times a week, reading the most Russian of Russian literature. No, if it was most Russian of Russian literature, the last chapter wouldn't be there. But we're drifting, Michael. We are. We are drifting in the Let's dirt. get
1: back to the so, video.
0: The, the song that they have chosen is Stop Children, What's That Sound? Great song. And if, if you love Buffalo Springfield, who are the people who sang that song, and you ever went, God, what if I could see a man who can only be described as looking like Blackula... Destroy it. <laughs> what if I hated the song afterwards? Then let me tell you, we have we have the link for you. Well,
1: I, I just I don't I don't know. I, is it possible that these two people are just former members of Buffalo Springfield that have just aged? And I I didn't bother googling names. Is 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 that a consideration? Do we know that these people weren't in the original combo?
0: Well, the, the, there's two people in it. Yeah. One, I have no idea who he is, the black chap actually singing. One of them was involved in Crosby and Nash, I believe.
1: Well, Crosby, Stills and Nash.
0: Crosby, Stills and Nash, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or possibly Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, depending on exactly when that was happening.
1: I don't think he was Crosby or Stills or Nash or Young, though, was he?
0: What? No, no, he wasn't. And so you have this, this badly sung, badly delivered song. He oversings and it doesn't work, while all of these black lives matter things appear behind it. And you can feel I looked at it and I sort of went, you know, the drone strikes and the assassinations and the children in cages, this may actually be the worst thing the Democrats have done. You said Blackula, and that's actually exactly I, I had have... that's, that's exactly what he looks like. It is a black Dracula who kind of looks like he's transgender or some kind of drag act going on. At one moment, he turns
1: and he's got his back to you and you really don't know, is this going to turn out to be a dress? And, you know, you're watching it from the back, you're thinking, please, let this be a middle-aged black man in a dress because that will be just the perfect way to reach out. I mean, america the American has 330 million votes uh, people. Uh, I'm not sure how many voters, but they have probably somewhere around two hundred or three hundred thousand people decide the election. That's what they say in a close election. That is around three hundred thousand people. A few, maybe fifty thousand in Florida, thirty thousand in Iowa, another fifty thousand in, we'll say, in Michigan or somewhere, and they're scattered around the, the, those swing states. So. It's three hundred thousand it's it's a symbolic number but a small number of people in swing states, and we we know these are swing voters, so they are not, for example, African Americans, African Americans are very rarely swing voters. They're well, and Biden is polling under Hillary with black and hispanic voters Under Hillary, so like he's only on ninety percent.
0: the polls in the last couple of weeks have gone from landslide to Biden to, oh, actually, we're, we're there within margin of error of each other. Uh, and the prevailing theory is that people are getting tired of the country being set on fire. Who would have thought that? I thought... But, but I, my, my overall feeling when I saw this video, and it is so utterly disproportionate to the offence, I freely admit that, uh, but I was just watching the video. <laughs> my mind, all I was thinking was, fuck it, Trump could actually win this. Oh, yeah. Because if you were, you, you know millions of people could watch that. And that video has been taken out already. Now, the, the conference isn't even over. That's just the end of the first day. There's two more. And it's been watched millions of times. I expect in a couple of days it'll be watched tens of millions of times. And it is just people taking the piss out of them.
1: Right. First, the two gentlemen, and I'm sure they're lovely men, very nice gentlemen. They are between middle-aged and elderly. So this is not an image of beautiful youth going forward into the sunny, uplit hilllands of the American dream.
0: This is boomers. This is boomer town.
1: Yeah, boomers. Then you have the choices, the aesthetic choices. They've changed the colours of the American flag.
0: Americans historically very lax about the flag. Oh,
1: couldn't give a damn about the flag. That's not uh. particularly like not middle middle of the road, swing voters, white middle class suburban voters. They're not. They don't care about that kind of stuff. Then we have the section where they which repeats in the background visuals of guys all in black wearing Black Lives Matter T-shirts, and on one of them we seem you seem to have a guy. Giving the Black Power salute. Now, again, it's a democracy. Lots of people in the United States support BLM. Um, certainly, I'm sure many, many Democrats do. But as you said, Gary, there is a sense that people in the states are getting a little bit tired of the burning and the looting and the protesting. The largely and the violence. The largely peaceful the largely peaceful protests. but like in this this video occurs in the context i don't know if it was the same day or the day after a video which is again being checked out in the millions which is of a guy being f- in portland wasn't it uh where he's been sat down by the local inverted commas security people he had been trying to give aid or help out uh, a woman um, he felt threatened there was an attack he got into the, his, 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 his truck and tried to get away panicked hit a lamppost they dragged him out sat him on the earth then this guy comes over and kicks him in the head
0: bang now I mean Michael, like, like if you've ever seen like this is a world cup level soccer kick like you can see him from the distance gathering steam yeah and then just turns in and what guy goes dead Guy is in, he's not dead, he's in hospital. I don't think he's woken up yet.
1: But and you, um, you can see, you, you know, when you've seen somebody being knocked out, either in, in real life, like real life on TV or real life in, in front of you in, in a bar or whatever. It's different just than somebody acting. You've seen people do it on stage. You've seen people do it. You knew immediately, bang, he was down and he was out. And it was just horrible. That's what people are saying. Benjamin Boyce, in the interview I did with Benjamin there uh, a week or so ago, was saying that an awful lot of this stuff is not being reported locally. It's not getting in, but he said it's just there. And these are, generally speaking, he said, in the worst cases, they're Democrat-run cities. But the fact is, okay, if you're If you're in Maine, you don't know what's going on in Portland or in Olympia or in Seattle. But if you're in Seattle or Portland, you know. And the problem is, okay, the mainstream media won't tell you overnight. But these things, the videos, everybody is carrying a video video camera in their pocket now. It's going on to Instagram. It's going on to YouTube. It's going on to Twitter.
0: Do, do, Do you remember at the start of this, Michael, when there were all these mainstream articles in the American press about people wearing press gear? Press-marked gear. Yeah. Being hit by, like, pepper balls and things. And then the videos started to come out showing Black Block members... Black... Block, even. Black Block members wearing gear that had press on it. But openly throwing stuff at police. Yes. And you're like, it's almost like you can't trust these anarchists. It's weird, isn't it? I mean, if you can't
1: trust an anarchist in the middle of a... What has been described recently by a couple of very, you know, not tinfoil hat types as what is essentially an insurrection,
0: then who can you trust, Gary? I just, I like the idea, like, someone in Portland looking out his window at this and be like, okay, do I want the people who are getting on their knees and saying we deserve this, or do I want someone who will... Lower taxes, brutalise these people and rule us like a king.
1: Gary knows that that's my favourite quote of all time from The Simpsons. Yes, I do. And it is the the definition of a Republican. Uh,
0: that was just for you, Michael. It was Not just... the listeners. <laughs> just for you.
1: But yeah, if, if there is that kind of sense, if that is growing around the country, well then... I would just you know, and this isn't. Listen, the Republicans are perfectly capable of doing exactly the same thing from their own perspective. Every political party these days it seems becoming increasingly detached. But when my point is simply not, I'm not criticizing that the Democrats have their own perspective on this. That's fine, but they, a group of people, I imagine, experienced, highly paid, political people sat down. And approved this video, which was going to go out to the American people.
0: This is what they think will be okay. This will work. Not not like the second day, you can tr- kind of throw what you want in. The first day and the third day, the beginning and the start, you don't fuck those up. Because they're the things people might actually remember. Right in the beginning and the end. I think this might be part of why some of the polls, not all of them, but some of them show Biden underperforming hillary amongst black and hispanic communities because black democrats tend to be substantially to the right of college educated white democrats oh yeah and they have never been fond of all of this nonsense they're also socially way more conservative and per neighborhoods disproportionately bear the blunt of crime so they tend to be much harsher in relation to crime as well so they're probably not enjoying this
1: well, I thought there was an
0: interesting, we,
1: we, I've referred to it before, there was an interesting quote came out of, I think it was Portland, where a prominent member of the NAACP, the NAACP, the National Association for the Advancement of Coloured People, said, whatever this started as, it is now just a white spectacle. And there was a real sense of fed-upness, I felt, in that in that quote. Now, I from the past... It seems to be unlikely that this is going to flip poor uh, urban black voters into becoming
0: Republican voters. But it might might keep them at home. That's the thing. It doesn't need to flip them. It just needs to keep them at home. And if it does get bad enough to flip them because enough of their neighbourhoods are set on fire, while Democrats say, well, we're not condoning it, but, you know, we've got to let it run its course.
1: Now, if, and you don't know, if it it keeps going, if it keeps rumbling on, and at the moment the principal democratic response in these cities is not to really address the problem, not to crack down, but rather to continue with the discussions about defunding police, about reducing their budgets. And if Donald Trump can find a way to speak to those areas, if he can go in with a, uh, with the federal regeneration f- funds, with the uh, good old fashioned pork barrel politics, well, may who knows? Maybe he could flip some of these votes, but it's wh- wh- whatever about those voters, those those middle of the road guys in Iowa and in Illinois and in Michigan and Pennsylvania. I I find it hard to imagine that this kind of stuff is going to go down with them. And again, I just go back. To, I just. I'm fascinated. Like our own crew here, when they come out with something, you think a group of people got in a room, sat around a table, discussed this, and said, "Yeah, I think that that will run with the, the people. They'll like that." Think,
0: who, who, who are you? Who are you talking to? What country do you live in? Oh, that um, that video we were talking about, and I'll also put up a link to this in the bottom of the podcast. Red State have already remixed the video. To keep the vocals, but just cut in video of Antifa burning American flags and just beating people to a pulp, oh. destroying property, and it just it just cuts across everything nicely. They've kept some of the original video, so I'll, I'll make sure to put a link there. But uh, as yeah, that was you, that was foreseeable.
1: You were talking about the the polls, yeah. No, vast majority of the polls still have Biden with I think what an eight and a half percent lead.
0: I have seen polls that show Biden with a 2%. Yeah,
1: but if you, you across all of the polls, and there are many, many, many polls. So I was, looking, look, I was looking at Nate Silver today, and Nate was, and I, I think he, he likes to be as right as he can be, and he, he has his system, you know. So he at the moment has Trump on with a 27% chance of winning. Now, remember the last time out, Trump had on the day of the election. He had a 29% chance of winning. So not that big a gap. He said right now, it's not great for Trump, but he has more time to catch up than he did previously, 27%. Also, even at 27%, that's the same odds of winning as you have of filling a flush. If you're if you're paying, playing a hand of poker and you've got four hearts, your chance of filling the flush is around 27%, which is a poker player, we're you, it's not bad. The problem is what way COVID, how, how COVID plays out is obviously going to be a big issue. The, the economy, how the economy plays out in the next couple of months is going to be significant. Kamala Harris was supposed to be a big, was supposed to be a good, a good news story. It hasn't seemed to have worked into the polls at all, positively. Usually you get a bump after your national convention. You get all you get the tellies, you get all the media stuff. So he said, let, let's let have a look. Let's come back at different times. Different, I think uh, at
0: one stage, Dukakis was 20 percent ahead. What, what I did find particularly interesting is that the largest single reason that people gave for voting for Joe Biden is that he is not Trump. Yeah, it's not great. The the percentage of people who hate Trump is is substantial. But that does indicate that it's difficult to totally disengage someone from the policies. But that would indicate that someone who has Trump's policies but is a more, uh, should we say, careful speaker and with a bit better presentation could actually do very well. So this may not be the end of even if Trump loses, that might not be the end of uh, Trumpism effectively uh, in the GOP.
1: Well, no, I mean you talk to people who are never Trumpers in the GOP, and some of them will tell you that they they think that Trump has has changed the Republican Party definitively for in the medium term. That whatever it was when George W. Bush finished it, it is not that party anymore
0: no i don't did you have Have you heard the the phrase the great realignment yeah so for the listener in case they, they haven't the great realignment is a theory that what we're seeing across uh the west uh, particularly in relation to right-wing parties although now beginning to be with left-wing parties as well is not some growth of fascism or authoritarianism or anything like that it is a realignment from a primary focus on economic views to a primary focus on social views and that is reshaping the parties because in the case of let's say the republican party the more economically liberal wing as you move into the more libertarian wing tended to be very upper class quite wealthy quite um, high status individuals And those primarily interested in cultural affairs tended not to be, they tended to be poorer, they tended to be less educated. And the Great Realignment basically says that the right-wing parties are moving to effectively become the parties of the working class. That they are going to lose a lot of that status and they are going to become culturally conservative but more economically leftward. Yeah, I think the, that's the, the broad the broad. The, the, the
1: analogy that I like, with that that I've heard used is, if you've got two, you've got you're you're driving a car, you've got the guy who's driving the car, and you've got the passenger. And historically, if you look, the Republicans, but also if it may be closer to home, it might be easier to see it. If you look at the say the Conservative Party and the Labour Party in Britain from the seventies on, maybe even the whole post-war period, but certainly with Margaret Thatcher uh, and then then through Tony Blair, son of Thatcher. When the, For the Tories, the, you had the people who cared about the economy in the driving seat. They were driving the car. The cultural conservatives were in the, in the passenger seat. They were there. They would try and influence maybe the choice of the route that you took, but ultimately the guy in the driving seat, he's the one that runs it. What's happened in... And it, and it has been happening. It's happening on both sides. In fact, in some ways, the great realignment has happened on the left first, because the first parties to be really start to suffer as a result of this were what we call the social democratic parties, like, I, I like the Labour Party, like the social democrats in Germany. And what they have, they're moving away from being interested in economics and caring for the working class and the redistribution and safety nets. And they're becoming more interested in the progressive social issues.
0: It is, it is interesting in that now a significant amount of the people I know more on the progressive left, they don't like the pur. They don't like the views the pur have. No. They don't like them as people. They really don't. And, we, and, and if you don't like them as people, I mean, yeah, you care about economic redistribution as a theory. But you don't care about the people it impacts. But you so you, you care
1: less. You don't focus on. You it. care less and less about it. We see that very strongly in Britain. And the point that was made to me about this, he said, well, "People were surprised at this, not just the fact that Boris won the election, but rather that he won it so decisively." It's it is actually easier for Tories to move left on social issues, mm. or rather to move left on on economics. But stay where they are on social issues than it is for the Labour Party. The Labour Party can move right on economics, but it's very hard for them to move right on social issues. They can't that's not a place where the, the, the leadership of the, the of the Labour Party feels at all comfortable, and the Southeast of England they, that kind of politics just not work. So Brexit was a classic example. The Brexit really wins because working class voters who traditionally they were members of trades unions, they were interested in the NHS, in free schools, in a, a good social welfare safety net, but had basically conservative values in the sense that they're patriotic. They value things like family. They have maybe slightly more conservative morals and social issues. The big cultural war issues, they're more conservative. So it's much, it's easier for the conservatives to move because, you are know, Big Nate, one Tory, One nation, Toryism, that kind of thing. They can move to the left on the economics and say, yeah, we we want to care for everybody. We want everybody to be minded. But speak to their conservative social issues. And that's what Boris did. The Conservative Party has moved. Now, there is an authoritarian element in that. uh, And there is an authoritarian element to Trump. But it's the idea that it's sort of a a short route to fascism, is wildly overblown. But it's an alignment. Now, what's happening in Ireland, I don't know. Ireland is, as usual, just all over the place when it comes to these kinds of things. But it's certainly happening in the rest of Europe. It's happening in the United States. And ultimately, the funny thing was, I remember we were discussing this before the last election and I discussing this with Manning, Paddy Manning. Paddy was of the opinion that he couldn't see that Trump could win the election, but he thought he could win the nomination. And I was the other way around. I thought I, I, I was convinced the Republican Party would find some way to stop him. That eventually everybody would drop out except the, the agreed candidate, whether it was Ruby or Cruz at the end. And everybody would come around Cruz and Trump would be dumped. But I did believe that once, if he did get the nomination, that in a funny way, Bernie Sanders to me was the evidence that Trump could win. Because both Bernie and Trump were speaking to the same constituency in a way, weren't they? Bernie is not a modern leftist; he's an old-fashioned lefty. He's not interested really in the in the modern culture war issues. He's interested in redistribution, free free Medicaid, free Medicare, minimum wages, living wage, that kind of stuff, and the regeneration, repatriating American industry. Going to those places where the old rust belt, where the factories have closed down, and bringing jobs back there, and he got great purchase from that. And they were, I think, very similar to the kind of people that Trump ended up getting. Those people who didn't feel that anybody was talking to them, people who felt left behind.
0: And yeah, I think, I mean, you see that in other countries. I think, I think there's a certain sense that uh, those with more status than the poor have started to feel contempt towards them on the left
1: but gary look look at the commentary about from high status people in the united kingdom and in ireland about people who voted for brexit look at the kind of commentary you see about people who voted for trump there's no nuance in this they're stupid they're xenophobes they're racists they're living in the past. They're, they're old. That's one of the big things that, about Brexit voters.
0: Oh, God. you remember the death clock? Yeah. and all, It was a website, and all it did was count down the expected uh, death rates of Brexit voters until such a time as there would be more Remain voters just due to natural attrition. Yeah, and
1: nobody seemed to think that there were people who voted for Brexit to, who might find that a bit creepy and offensive. No, that was... Everybody should be just gleefully waiting for that moment when all these nasty old people are dead and we can get on with ourselves.
0: I said I wanted to go back to Michelle Obama, Michael. She spoke at the DNC. Her speech is now in the Irish Examiner. They uploaded it there. It's abridged, but it's pretty full. And I, I, I get these ads on Spotify saying that I should listen to her podcast... And why would anyone listen to a podcast, Michael? <laughs> uh, they're horrible things. Horrible. I would never, I'd never lower myself in such a way. And she's apparently made hundreds of millions from deals and books and her her podcasts. And every time I see her, though, I just, I don't get her. I don't get her as a concept, Michael. I don't understand why she is there.
1: Well, I th- there was th- there was a lot of. Quite a lot of noise, wasn't there, that she could be the next nominee?
0: I mean, there's quite a lot of noise saying many ridiculous things. Although, I mean, the Democratic Party bench is not very deep at this point. But you you know, when someone puts something in front of you and goes, This is important, and everyone just says it, and no one can ever seem to actually articulate why it is important? I mean, Michael, my, my girlfriend is an engineer. I don't go around telling people how to put together robots because I don't know anything about it and it seems that her only qualification is that she was married to someone who achieved things of public importance she herself I'm sure has is as a perfectly high-flying life but nothing of public importance I mean I don't think she's ever achieved anything I don't think there's ever been a policy but she just turns up there. And she gives these wonderful... Actually, her speech is quite Trumpian. I quite like that. She starts talking. Most of it is nonsense. It's boilerplate. You know, we must stand up for the innocent. But there is a part where she's like, when my husband left office, we had a record-breaking stretch of job creation. And it just goes... It's, it is just Trump. It's. It doesn't matter what the topic is. It's just about how great I'm doing. <laughs>
1: well, I mean, I don't and then
0: she starts talking about kids in cages michael which yeah where i'm michelle obama i don't know much about her but i would probably go maybe you shouldn't do that because that started under your husband but you know what as the associated press was very quick to point out which when they do a fact check on it
1: yeah i was kind of surprised to see ap were quite so quick to do that why i i, I see why she why she would say it i understand i don't I think at this stage with the, with the cages thing, the people that believe that Trump was personally responsible, a bit like the child catcher and Shitty Chitty Bang Bang going around um, luring Mexican children across the Rio Grande into cages, that they're there. They know the story. They're not going to be dissuaded. That story is fixed. I don't think that any number of facts is going to change anybody's minds on that if facts ever do. As oh, you know, you say
0: why I mean she's an attractive, elegant, poised woman. She was. I don't think so, and you're gay, so I think we're on pretty much a negative on that one. She is. She was intimately
1: associated in a way that presidents and their wives are not always. She was. It was Barack and Michelle Obama. It was. It was very much a a couple. Of, and you know. As regards doing stuff and policy stuff, Hillary did a hell of a Hillary was responsible for, for the health policy for Clinton. I don't think that was necessarily something that worked out for her.
0: I, yeah, I don't I think that was due to the position. I think that was due to the fact it was Hillary Clinton. And Michelle Obama is not Hillary Clinton. And for all that Hillary Clinton has many negative things, like when she destabilised Libya and threw the world into chaos, creating the... You know, refugee crisis in the EU, and then the rise of all the populist right, and the near disintegration, and Brexit, and you yeah, can go on. But, she had positive things about her, much like Henry Kissinger.
1: Yeah, but Hillary, when polled, people found her unlikable, and people find Mil- Michelle Obama likable. Yeah, but the problem there is that
0: Hillary Clinton achieved things.
1: Yeah, but that doesn't matter. She's not likable. But it does,
0: though, doesn't it?
1: No, not if it's an election. It might achieve, it might be in some kind of great cosmic judgment in the sky, but if it's an election, the person who's likeable will win, the person who's not likeable won't. And that, considering that the person that won the last election against Hillary was Donald Trump, and that means that, according to the Electoral College at least, Donald Trump was more likeable. Well, that tells
0: the story. Uh, we're assuming likability is the main driver of, uh, of votes. Uh,
1: I think that people
0: don't, I think it's very,
1: it's, it's harder for people to hear what you're saying if they don't like you.
0: Yes, but also this is America where both parties could literally run a scarecrow and get their core vote.
1: They can get the great bulk of their core vote. But the thing is, as we saw, we've seen several times in the last number of elections in America. It's that last bit of the core vote that will make the decision. I mean, core. I, mean, I suppose, I suppose if Biden gets elected.
0: And we'd say, OK, yeah, likability does go above everything else because he just kind of isn't, if you know what I mean.
1: Well, yes, there are, shall we say that the negatives are, are there. They're obvious. Biden, you know what, whether it's Biden or whether it's the people behind Biden, I don't know. But Biden has succeeded in doing something so far, which is pretty sneaky and clever. Biden is selling himself as the return to normality he's the the middle-of-the-road, ordinary kind of Democrat that we used to get back in the day. If you actually look at his policy platform, it's 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 certainly more to the left than anything Obama tried, and it's not that far on some of the issues from Bernie Sanders. But nobody seems to be talking about the policy portfolio. If you look at the comments of people, prominent people on the left in the Democratic Party, when they're talking about Biden policies, they love it.
0: I think that's the same thing that happened with Trump. The delivery leaves a little bit to be uh, to be desired, but if you look at like the Heritage Foundation and they measure how every conservative administration is doing, it's flying.
1: Oh, it Trump. As a president, I think Trump as a president was has been better than Trump was. If you if you're doing scores like Heritage scores, he's doing better as a president than he than he would he did as a candidate. A lot of the stuff that he was talking about as a candidate, a lot of mi- mainstream Republicans found pretty. Yeah, God, no. But but on most of the stuff, yeah, he's been he's been he he's been getting B pluses and A's. But there is a long time to go. We're here in the middle of August, September, October. Actually, it's only two and a half months, but it will feel. We will be back to the subject, I'm sure, again. And it will still remain a foreign country with a foreign election. And I'm sure we will fail to understand many of the nuances and
0: things that are going on. But still, it's always fun. Yes, but you see, when you do it with America, even if you don't understand what's happening on a deep, fundamental level, And anyone challenges you, you just say, well, you know, I thought it was culturally appropriate to your country. (laughs) Yeah. So really, I am the American here.
1: The quiet... I'm just
0: going to say it loudly as if I knew what I was talking about, and I'll talk fast enough that you'll just have to go with it.
1: I am the quiet American.
0: That is the problem with Americans. And the great thing about the British, if an American tells you what he is, he's only going to become smaller when you start looking into him. Hmm. Where's the British, British, ask the British man what he did. Like, ah, oh, you know, mess around with numbers or something like that. It's, it's all very small. And then he'd be like, oh, it's, it's the head of Barclays. Now it was at this time that the gods decide to punish us for our hubris. And Michael's microphone did actually die a second time. He says it died. Michael is historically terrible with tech. So because of that, I am going to bring us on home and we will see you guys. On Friday so there were a the couple of Irish stories I wanted to talk about with Michael without Michael here I think I'll just go into uh, one of them and it was it's not a you know you, you, know, you see something and it sort of it just strikes you and what I saw was there's a journalist called Conor Lally now Conor is the Irish Times security and crime editor he's usually fairly good on these things. But what he did was he, he put up a tweet. Now, the GAA reached out uh, because of the new regulations involving COVID that basically say people cannot go and go to sports games and things like that. The GAA reached out and basically invited the government's chief scientific advisor, and the uh, the advisory group, to show them the empirical evidence which made this a necessary step and made it so that the GAA had to, in their words, curtail its activities. And Connor Lally responded to this with a tweet that said, The arrogance of official GAA, which this is a journalist saying that it requires a level of arrogance to ask a question of a group whose impact on the average Irish citizen is massive, and of whom the oversight of, for various reasons, is very limited. It's just, a, I don't understand where he's coming from. I intellectually understand where he's coming from, but it's just not where I'm coming from, and I don't, I don't click with it. It's never arrogant if someone puts something in front of you and says, this is going to have massive impact on your life. I have deemed it to be the thing most suitable for you, it's never arrogance for you to turn around and go, on what evidence? That's, that's That can't be arrogance. That is, in fact, one would say the primary purpose of journalism, to look at things that impact on citizen, citizens and to say, well, why is this being done? And do those things stack up? And is that true? So I just, I found it a very peculiar thing that Quite highly respected journalist would have this idea that it's arrogant to ask questions. Now, interesting thing about this, we have had many things come in because of COVID 19, some that seem reasonable, some less reasonable, some good, some bad. A time for the best, a time for the worst, you know, you know, yeah, you know, you know, that sort of shit. But was it the NGOs that came out and said, Actually, that might infringe on people's liberty. Was it the Irish Council for Civil Liberties? They did come out today, to be fair to them, and say that um, police shouldn't be given additional powers to deal with um, COVID-19 and people gathering. Their chief executive also wrote an article at the start of this saying that there was absolutely no conflict between human rights and the necessary steps we would see from COVID-19, such as lockdown. So, the group's that we consider a core part of our country and i mean if they exist and they're funded by the state in many cases to support civic society they don't seem to have any issue with this at all they don't seem to have at any point been the people to go is this proportionate is this necessary and to draw people out to explain it publicly get it on record so that if they're right they can be lauded and if they're wrong they can be punished or at least be forced to explain themselves because getting stuff wrong here with so many variables in the air, I think is is pretty understandable. But it was none of those organisations, none of those organisations which are meant to do those things did it. It was the GA that did it. And it kind of makes sense if you think about it for a second, because most of these NGOs, and I say this at full awareness that the Edinburgh Institute, which I'm director of and which Michael is is involved with and this podcast is more tangentially than directly linked at this point, is an NGO, but we don't take state money. And moreover, we don't claim to represent people. We say we have particular ideas and we push for them. And if people want to support us in that, that's fine. And if they don't, they don't. But we don't represent people. You've got an endless array of NGOs that are walking around saying, well, we represent women, or we represent travellers, or we represent everyone in the country who has a particular religious faith or a particular view. And then you look at how many members these groups have, a couple of hundred. I mean, the National Women's Council of Ireland. I'm not 100% on this, but I'm pretty sure they count as members all of the members of organisations who have signed up for them. So if you were a member of the National Country Women's Association, I think you're counted as a member of the uh, Women's Council of Ireland. But they don't have many members. They have, I mean, active members. If you hit three figures, these groups will be doing well. They don't have any internal moral authority to put themselves forward. They don't have the amount of people behind them that they would need to actually be culturally relevant enough to be able to go well, no, you need to you need to respond to us. We want an answer, and we deserve an answer. But the Ga has that. The Ga has the numbers, and it has the cultural cachet, and people care enough about the Ga that they would see the guy coming forward and going. We're not saying we aren't going to do this. But we'd like you to tell us why we're doing it. You're the expert. But what you're saying is having massive impact on us. And we would like to know why. It's interesting. It is just, I I find it interesting. Because it's a sign of the strength of the Ga. still. When other organisations have just died on the vine, the Ga has still kept a lot of its capabilities. I'd be interested to know if the Irish political parties have studied any of... The makeup of the gang, how it's managed to sustain itself while their own local groupings have died on the vine. If not, they probably should, because I think there's something that would be applicable there, and I think there would be a lot of interesting lessons there. On the other hand, it seems a sign of a profoundly, maybe not sick, maybe the wrong word, but weak society, that none of these groups are capable of really doing anything terribly impressive, even the ones that have any sort of large purpose seem largely incapable of doing it. I think that's partially due to the people who ended up being in power in these organizations. I think Irish political parties very early on realized that if you stuff a load of troublesome people into an NGO, it's very easy to make them beholden to you and to ensure that they never really get much done just because of the structure around them. But when you look at places like America, America has incredible problems. It also has a really strong civic society. People really give a shit about things. From the smallest things about their community all the way on up. And look at Scotland. The hate speech bill there is getting pushed back because civic society stepped in. NGOs there helped. But it's largely being done because Scottish society just doesn't really like this idea. And it's... Ireland doesn't have that. Ireland has nothing to stop any sort of prevailing movement in any particular sort of ideological direction. There are no safeguards. There are no limits. And that seems to me a situation which is going to, in the end, not end terribly well for this country. But, then again, whenever I I think that that should be something that I should be uh, upset about, I'm just reminded that I I do deeply believe that democracy is the idea that you know, the people know what they want and it's the job of the government to give it to them good and hard. And for all we complain about the government, we vote for them. So there's nothing really to complain about. Well, I think that's, that might be a, a not the greatest tone to end on. So let me instead close with this. The older I get, the more certain I become of a phrase I heard years ago and it's this. In a democracy, in the long term, you get what you fucking deserve. All the best.